welcome to Inside the BACB, the official podcast of the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Inside the BACB. I am Molly Luke, the Chief Certification and Learning Officer at the BACB, and today we'll be talking about organizational management of RBT supervision. So specifically, this podcast is geared towards those who are providing RBT supervision and oversight. This is such an important topic, and we are lucky enough to have Molly Dubuque as a special guest. As we were preparing for this, we actually jokingly called this the Molly and Molly Show, which I do think has a really good ring to it. Yeah, I love Molly and Molly Show. That's great. Uh, All right. So I can't say enough good things about Molly. She's been on the BACB's board of directors since 2018 and has been the vice president of the board since 2020. Molly holds a master's degree in behavior analysis and has been working with children and adults with developmental disabilities for over 20 years. She has served as a supervised fieldwork instructor for those pursuing BCBA certification and as an RBT supervisor. I also know that you've worked in many states in the United States, but you've also worked in some other countries too. Isn't that right? Yeah, I have. I was a technician in Ireland, and then I oversaw field work for trainees in Jordan. Oh, I knew that you were in Jordan, but I didn't actually know that you had worked in Ireland. I bet those were some fantastic experiences. Um, all right. So a little bit more about Molly. Molly oversees clinical standards and outcomes at a medium-sized company in the U.S. that provides behavior analytic services to children with autism. She has a ton of great insight about supervising and developing supervision systems. So thank you, Molly, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's get started. As I mentioned, today we're focusing on supervising RBTs. I know that those who are providing behavior analytic services are really responsible for a lot right now, including supervising RBTs. So Molly, you've worked in a lot of different settings and with many different supervisors and clients and RBTs. Can you talk a little bit about what issues you're seeing? Sure, but before we dive into the issues we're experiencing, I think it's important to note that these issues are a product of the rapid growth we're seeing in our profession, and that's a good thing. We're seeing greater access to ABA across states and better recognition of behavior analysis as a career option. So while I think we need to manage these challenges, Um, I think that they're not likely to go away because they're just simply signs of the growth we're seeing. Yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah, so but one issue that our supervisors are facing is juggling their clients, supervisees, and trainees' needs while also staying up to date on insurance, licensure, and certification requirements. Molly, it can be a lot, especially considering that we work with people who have lives that don't always allow for things to go smoothly. So our supervisors need systems to manage the requirements so they can place all of their time and attention on caseload management and supervision and rapport building to enhance their effectiveness in their job and to maintain their job satisfaction. I I love your perspective on systems being a really meaningful way to help. So going to your point about how much supervisors need to juggle, you know, I wish I could help with a lot of those things, but I will say that I know it's easy to get caught up in all of the specific BACB supervision requirements and whether, for instance, a certain activity needs to be supervised or whether something may count towards supervision. But what I would also encourage supervisors and company owners to remember is why supervision is important and in turn why we require it and really keep that as a guiding light. Um, So kind of to further reiterate that, something we state at the beginning of the supervision requirements is that 
The purpose of ongoing supervision is to improve and maintain the RBT's behavior analytic professional and ethical repertoires and facilitate the delivery of high quality services to clients. Yeah, Molly, I love that you brought that up because I think that this is where systems really help to manage the stressful parts so that supervisors and RBTs are free to focus just on their clients' needs. Right. And those holding an RBT certification have such an important role in delivering behavior analytic services that are really closely directed and overseen by a behavior analyst, a BCBA or a BCABA. I know that's probably an obvious statement because that is the role of those with an RBT certification, but I think it really gets to why supervision is important. So if the behavior analyst is not supervising the RBT, you know, watching them provide services, overseeing their work and making sure they have all the supports they need, then how can they know whether the services that are being provided are being provided as they intended? Right. You know, or if changes are needed to the program or, you know, even as simple as checking in on how the client is doing. Yeah, the RBT supervision requirements uh, were actually developed by behavior analysis subject matter experts who are doing this work. These requirements were set up based on when and how often supervision should occur at a minimum to really best support the RBT and the clients. And that is why an RBT is actually not able to practice or bill or call themselves an RBT unless they have a supervisor guiding the client programming and supervising their work. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that it's important for us to remember that the BCBA is responsible for the client's treatment, and that includes the conceptualization and the implementation. So if a BCBA is not certain that treatment is being implemented as designed, they risk ineffective analysis, which is going to impair their case conceptualization. The standards hold all supervisors to a minimum standard of oversight to protect the clients they serve, which aligns with the BACB's mission of consumer protection. You know, Molly, honestly, the requirements were really helpful for me in designing supervision systems. Um, it was helpful to know what the expectations are so that I know at a minimum what I need to create. That's great to hear. So when we were preparing for this podcast, you mentioned that you've seen confusion for employees who have RBT certification about what the RBT requirements are for the BACB versus the employee requirements for the organization. And I've actually thought about that quite a bit since you last mentioned that. Do you mind talking about it a little bit here? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we know our RBTs are new to the field. And for many, this is their first professional job. Many RBTs receive their certification while they're employed by an agency. So for example, new hire training may cover agency policies and procedures and provide the 40-hour training. Um, we all know that the agency-related material can't count towards the 40-hour requirement, but I'm not sure this distinction is always clear from the RBT's perspective. And I think that that confusion can lead to confusion around the RBT's responsibility to the BACB. In other words, I think some RBTs think that the agency provided their certification and assume as long as they're employed, they're also an RBT. And I think that that confusion can lead to supervision errors, like not documenting supervision, which then could jeopardize the maintenance of the RBT's credential. You know, in thinking about it, I think we've seen a little bit of this on our site as well. So, for example, a common situation we see is that it seems like the supervisor or maybe the organization's administrator set up the BACB account for that prospective RBT. And so the RBTs never really logged into their BACB account and they don't know when or how to renew their certification. And then if they leave the company, they're most likely locked out because they had a company email address that they cannot access anymore. Right. 
Yeah. And if they're not setting up their own account, they're possibly also not aware of the BACB website and all its resources. You know, so they might not know that there's an RBT handbook that explains what's required and the RBT ethics code. That's a great point. And actually submitting an RBT application includes agreeing to legal terms, meaning completing that application for someone else is actually technically impersonating them. So in addition to it not being something that they can do, it seems like it could start their experience on their credentialing journey with them not taking ownership for their certification. You know, we are working on some improvements to make this application more efficient, but I'm assuming this practice is an efficiency that companies have set up in their systems. Have you seen any processes that have helped in this situation? Yeah, I have. Um, One process I've seen is that early in the onboarding process, staff explain the difference between being an employee of the organization and holding a certification from the BACB. So the staff are really clear um, in telling them where the organizational policies and expectations are housed, for example, in the employee handbook, and that the RBT expectations and ethics are housed in the RBT ethics code and RBT handbook. I think sometimes showing staff that there's separate resources that pertain to their employment and their certification helps solidify this distinction for them. Love that. Yeah, and then, you know, after they complete their RBT 40-hour training, I think it would be helpful for them to meet with a clinical director or a program director to complete that initial competency assessment. Once they pass, that person, so the, the leadership staff, could train them how to document their supervision and how to request additional supervision when needed. Um, in some cases, I've seen um, staff and organizations provide a summary form at the end of this meeting that summarizes the supervision expectations that the behavior technician signs, indicating that they understand what the expectations are. So then prior to signing up for the RBT exam, there's really clear communication about the RBT credential being the individual staff's responsibility and that maintaining the RBT credential is a critical job duty necessary for employment within the organization. So they're clear on those two distinctions. And then organizational staff can work with the applicant to create an account and sign up for the exam. So this allows them to provide that support and making sure that the account is set up correctly, but also has that RBT set up their own account so no one's being impersonated. Right. I really like the idea of setting up a process that works really well for the organization while also supporting the applicants. And it also seems to help them understand how to function as an employee and as a certificate. It seems like it could teach some really important professional development skills around kind of advocating for themselves, documentation, how to interact with those that are supervising. Yeah, you know, Molly, this is a current soapbox, but I think we have such a cool opportunity as supervisors to teach beyond the RBT task list. We know there's high turnover at the RBT level, so why not teach skills that will benefit them across industries? You know, our current RBTs might be future teachers or doctors that we'll need to collaborate with for our clients. So, you know, there's a lot of direct benefits to teaching them both the professional skills of maintaining their supervision, as well as, you know, becoming more efficient in their behavior analytics skills. So the more competent our RBTs are, the more likely they will implement our interventions with integrity, take feedback, and stay within the organization. Those are so great. I love it. Uh, And it also seems that that goes back to the purpose of supervision being such a vital component to high quality services. That's great. I love that. All right. So let's talk about how ongoing supervision is provided to RBTs. I'm never sure how many people know about the option to have a requirements coordinator, 
when there are multiple supervisors for an RBT. So I thought I'd just take a minute to describe the two types of supervision structures for RBTs. So one model is an RBT who's working under RBT supervisor. So that RBT supervisor provides all of the RBT supervision each month. I could see this structure being in a you know, small organization or an organization where maybe an RBT is working primarily with one or two clients. And when the RBT certification first started, I think this was probably more common, but with all the growth in the profession, several years ago, the BACB introduced a requirements coordinator structure. So this structure works really well when the RBT is receiving supervision from multiple supervisors. The requirements coordinator is then the point person who's responsible for ensuring all the supervision requirements are being met each month. They might also be serving as a supervisor themselves. And the requirements coordinator role was added knowing that in a lot of cases, there isn't a single supervisor overseeing an RBT. Um, so Molly, you mentioned that you have seen many organizations successfully use a requirements coordinator. Can you talk about what that's looked like where, where you've seen it? Sure. I've seen the requirements coordinator position be really helpful in organizations. For instance, one situation, there were several programs all run by a clinical director who oversaw a team of BCBAs, who oversaw a team of RBTs, you know, the typical tiered service delivery model. Um, the RBTs worked with at least two clients and their clients' cases were sometimes managed by different BCBAs. Uh, what the organization did was designated the clinical director in each program as the requirements coordinator which allowed them to make staff rotations based off clinical and scheduling needs rather than by designated supervisor. It also helped the RBT know who they could request supervision from because they always had a requirements coordinator and at least one and usually two supervisors. Um, I also think that model really fosters a teamwork approach to supervision because if the, the current BCBA was unable to provide supervision, other BCBAs or the clinical director could provide that supervision. And the RBT is really clear on who they can ask for supervision from. Um, so because of this, the organization could trust the RBT with obtaining sufficient supervision and hold them accountable for maintaining their own credential. I love hearing how this structure is used. And, you know, from our perspective at the BACB, if there are multiple supervisors, it also makes it easier for us if there's a requirements coordinator in a supervision audit because during an audit, our job is to determine whether a specific RBT met the supervision requirements. So it's really helpful to have one person we can reach out to to gather all that information versus us reaching out to several different supervisors. And, you know, unfortunately, we've seen supervision audits come back where, you know, one supervisor points to other supervisors who they think should have been providing some of the supervision, but they weren't. And then the RBT loses their certification because their supervision was substantially out of compliance as a result of that supervision not being coordinated. Oh, Molly, that is so unfortunate. And honestly, I can see how that happens. You know, BCBAs are managing so many deadlines that supervision requirements might just accidentally get overlooked. Another benefit of using that requirements coordinator is having them potentially conduct an internal audit of their RBT supervision records to prevent that problem from happening. You know, so for example, the requirements coordinator could conduct an audit as supervision logs on the 15th of the month to allow time to schedule any additional supervision that might be needed. They could then re-audit those logs at the end of the month to ensure all the monthly requirements were met. If they're not met, they could provide guidance on next steps. So for example, that RBT might need to self-report to the BACB as a certificate, 
Um, and then they might need to get additional coaching as an employee of the agency on what their responsibilities are for maintaining their supervision. Yeah, that internal audit, that's a really great idea. Okay, so I think we could talk about this forever, but we are coming to the end of our time. I'm sure you have many other helpful ideas and systems that you found to be helpful. Do you mind giving us, let's say, your top five recommendations for RBT supervisors listening to this podcast? Okay, that's fun. All right, so the first thing I would recommend, as I mentioned earlier, is clearly explain the difference between being an employee of the organization and a certificate of the BACB early in the onset of the relationship um, and have your staff set up their own account on the BACB website. My next recommendation uh, would be to create an accessible supervision tracking form and teach staff how to document their supervision. I think it's really important to clearly explain to the RBT who their supervisors are and specifically how they should request additional supervision when they need it. The third thing I like is to create shared calendars between the supervisors, the requirements coordinators, and the RBTs, so the RBTs know when they'll be supervised. This allows them to prepare for that supervision and be fully engaged in the supervision, but this can also function as backup documentation if the RBT does not log the supervision and the organization can potentially avoid losing an RBT. The fourth thing I would say is do an internal audit before the end of the month. Um, this is so helpful for adjusting schedules and making sure that the RBT gets as much supervision as they need to stay in compliance with those requirements. Um, and then the last thing I recommend is creating an exit checklist for the requirements coordinator or the supervisors to follow that prompts them through the steps of ending the supervisory relationship. These steps might include finalizing all supervision documentation, ensuring both parties have a copy of the supervision records, removing the RBT as a supervisee in the BACB portal, and then reviewing the self-report checklist that the BACB provides um, if you're terminating an employee for cause to determine if that RBT needs to report anything to the BACB. Those are such great recommendations. And I'm sure you know, or probably is obvious throughout this podcast that I am a huge fan of behavioral systems analysis and really creating thoughtful systems as a way to have really effective supervision. So I love all of those. I do know that you're a fan of behavioral systems <laughs> analysis. And um, I, yeah, I will say that putting these systems in place alleviates the stress and it allows our supervisors and our RBTs to focus on the meaning or the why behind they do the work they do. All right, so that is all the time we have for today. To wrap up, we covered several strategies that we think could be helpful for those overseeing RBTs, notably ways to have your RBTs take more ownership of their certification. We covered the purpose of ongoing supervision of RBTs. And we also talked about the two supervision structures, the RBT supervisor, as well as the RBT requirements coordinator. And ways that you could utilize that requirements coordinator model when there are multiple supervisors. Thank you so much, Molly, for joining me today and bringing your wealth of knowledge and ideas. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And I really hope this content is helpful for your listeners. Thank you for listening to Inside the BACB. Don't miss future episodes. Subscribe now.